pass! Oh, what a race! P10 to P1. Fantastic. Max Verstappen wins in Hungary in dominant style and extends his points lead on the rest of the field. Unbelievable, Max. That is right up there with your best. Unbelievable. It was a quite brilliant Hungarian Grand Prix, as good as I can remember. And we have another very international cast on F1 Nation this week. We're joined by Jesus Balsero from Diaria AS and Lekeeps, Formula One correspondent Fred Ferre as well. Guys, very warm welcome to the show. Now, Jesus, let's start with you. Did Max Verstappen win that Grand Prix or did Ferrari lose it? That's a good question, and I think both. I think at one, at one stage Max is winning because of that amazing pace he had, because maybe Lewis Hamilton was, was really fast today too. Some of the drivers were coming from behind, but Max had to overtake uh, Charles twice, which is uh, really a good thing for Formula One and for his race today. But also Ferrari, Ferrari has, to, has to lose the race at some point. Not sure if it's on the strategy or only on the pure performance thing, but it's really a disappointing day for Ferrari. When you're starting second and third, you have to at least be on the podium, and, and they are not, so they have to be wrong at some point today. It was a bad day for Ferrari, wasn't it, Fred? I mean, what is the headline on your story in Lake Keep tomorrow? Uh, obviously, uh, we, will, we will report on Charles Leclerc's disappointment because he was on the lead, and as he already experienced that, uh, his mistake last week, but for some time, engine failure, and this time, I think it's a mistake from the, the uh, pit wall that uh, didn't listen to his driver. And despite that, um, Christian Horner said that, that uh, they learned from Max saying that the hot tire was not the good one at the beginning of the race. So they, they choose not to use it. And Charles didn't want to get to the hard tire. He wanted to stay long on the medium and they call him back. So the story will be on that. So it will be Charles Leclerc to hell. Charles Leclerc to hell? Yeah, he's in hell now. It's a really difficult moment for him, isn't it? When you think of what happened at Paul Ricard last weekend in France and then another disappointment here. The thing is, Jesus, the way I saw it is Alpine had put their cars on the hard tyre and we could see that both of their cars were really struggling and yet Ferrari still put Charles Leclerc on the hard tyre. I just couldn't understand it. Yeah, and in a way Alpine was going on a clear one-stop strategy but Ferrari we knew they weren't so it was maybe easier for them to go on the other direction. I was obviously looking to Charles race but I was watching the race from the other perspective from Carlos race and being undercut by by his teammate not being able to undercut George because of that bad pit stop and and then suddenly that poor pace you, you could say that Charles had, had a better pace at, at the end of the race with the soft tire but anyway the general pace from the Ferrari wasn't that that good anymore. Carlos was very protective of the Ferrari pit wall after the French Grand Prix seven days ago when did he need to pit at the end? Did he not need to pit? I'm guessing he's going to be less protective now. In a way, I spoke with him a while ago and he was pointing to the to the car, not to the team this time. He was saying that maybe because of the, the weather, because of the wind, because of the, the track temperature was quite slower compared to Friday. He was surprised. He, he Maybe it caught Ferrari by surprise, the weather. Or I don't think so, but 
he was pointing to the car, not to the team. He doesn't blame the strategy. He blames the the, the pace of the car that today wasn't there. He says that. I, I I'm not that sure, but I'm not the driver. Well, and of course, uh, Mattia Bonotto, the Ferrari boss, coming into this weekend said Ferrari can win all of the remaining races. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that Ferrari is going to win the next nine races right now. Difficult times for Ferrari. Look, is, is Carlos in a good place, at least in terms of how he understands the car now? He seems to be on an equal footing with Charles in terms of pace. I like what I see from Carlos since the last five, six races, since Monaco probably. Then in Canada he was fighting for the win, a, a few reliability issues, but then he's, he's up there. It's, it's, it's tough for Ferrari now because it should be easier for them to point their first driver because of the when you see the standings, but then you see the performance on track from Carlos and it's not fair to stop him now if it's not the right moment. So I think Ferrari is doing that. He's letting them uh, race for the, for the best position all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it take a bit long for Carlos to, to get on that level, but finally he's there. Fred, do you think there need to be changes at Ferrari on the pit wall? I'm not a strategist, but obviously there is a problem. Because if uh, journalists like Jesus or me can point out that there is a, there is a mistake that's going to be made, and we all pointed that before uh, Charles pitted, don't go on our tire if you pit stay as long as you can with the medium which wanted Charles and then go on the soft tire at the end that was obvious and especially obvious now that we know the how it ended but it, it surprised me every time that Ferrari is doing bad choice especially this year what I found to be so uh, impressive about Max Verstappen this weekend is just how patient he was during that race he started it 10th and he just picked people off as and when the opportunity arose. There was no desperation at all. Even after he spun and did, a, did that 360, there was no exasperation. He just did the job again, overtook Charles Leclerc again. He's got the patience that I felt maybe he hasn't had in the past. He is, he's just driving beautifully. Last week, you, you know uh, Max way more than me with all the interviews you, you made with him. But last week, I had a one-to-one -one with him. And I said, you have changed this year in driving, but also in talking. And the interview for the first time was a quiet and a smiley one. And I asked him, why, I, why are you so peaceful? And he said, because I understood that I don't need to win every races of the year. If I'm not able to win, then I wait, just like you said. I just be patient and wait for the occasion. But if I see one, I jump on it. So the killer instinct is still there. Oh yeah. But he's, he's found that balance that makes him just such a, a, a force now in Formula One. The new uh, Lewis Hamilton, he's the same. With the same level of uh, understanding of races because he has a computer in, in his brain. He knows every occasion, the, the way he overtook Charles twice, not only once. And you, uh, in, the, in the early years, uh, when everyone was asked to uh, overtake Max, everybody was saying, no, it's not going to be possible. Now, all, everybody knows that Charles is a, is a painkiller when you have to overtake him, even with a hard tire or whatever. But he did it perfectly without any mistake. Two tries, and he was in the lead. And Max today, I think in a way we were, maybe Ferrari underestimated his potential uh, on the race. We were all a bit blind with the race from George, from Charles, Carlos too. 
and maybe nobody was looking properly to the pace Max was developing, developing uh, lap by lap. He was he was getting cut everybody at, at the start. He had no problem. Even Luis too. He, he was coming. His start was brilliant. He overtook the two Alpine. I think he, he was amazing. I think yes, Max looks smarter now. In uh, he won't have that kind of mistakes that in the past before before 2021 may happen for him. And but also I I, I fear that he hasn't got a, a contender at the same level. Maybe not because of the level of the drivers. Probably Charles is capable of fighting him, but. Uh, Red Bull being so strong, having a really good car, being the best team. Uh, I don't think that Ferrari will ever match that this year. I think Charles Leclerc has the same speed as Max Verstappen, but I think what these last few races have proven is that he's still got some way to go before he's the same package as Max Verstappen. I remember Binotto at, at earlier this season, he was every time saying that our, our goal is not the championship, but to win races and let's see. And we didn't believe that because the, the car was so good and the engine was so powerful that with that kind of car, you have to fight for the championship. And if you don't, there is a problem in that. I don't know where to point, but there is a problem in that. But he was right. Uh, the car is great, the engine is so powerful, but they are not ready to fight for the championship so far. And I'm a bit disappointed because we had a very nice race in Hungary, which it, it wasn't the best track for racing. But maybe we have our champion in Austin again or in, in Mexico, and that's, that's not the greatest thing for the show, I guess. And I think there'll be a few uh, nervous faces at Ferrari. I feel this was their year to strike. The car has been really good. and. With Mercedes now coming back, I'm sure they're going to build a quick car for 23 with the knowledge they've built up this year. And so it's going to be at least a three-way fight, in my opinion, in 23, which makes it harder for Charles, harder for Ferrari to get across the line again. But one man who is very happy at the moment is Red Bull boss Christian Horner. Christian, what a stunning victory by Max today. One of his best... Absolutely, right, right up there, an um, amazing performance and, uh, you know, the best way to sign off to go into the summer break. So, uh, you know, great teamwork, strategy, thinking on our feet and, of course, you know, a wonderful drive by Max and, and great recovery with Checo. Now, as you ripped open your curtains here in Budapest this morning and he was starting 10th, what were your expectations? To be honest with you, I thought if we could get in the top five, you know, that'd be damage limitation. So, especially at this track where you, you know, it's notoriously difficult to overtake. So, uh, you know, to, to win it with a clutch issue in the first part with a 360, you know, degree spin when he'd just taken the lead uh, was beyond all our expectations. At what point in the race did you think the win was on? I think as soon as we saw the Ferrari come out with a white-walled set of tyres, then uh, you felt, you know, there's a real chance of this. So, uh, it was, you know, that was a decisive factor in the race for us. So, but still had to obviously get it done and and bring it to the checkered flag. Final one from me. You've won nine of the opening 13 races this year. Just emphatic. Well, it's remarkable because none of them have been easy wins, or very few of them have. So, uh, you know, the team's just operating at a fantastic level. And, you know, Max is right there and doing a wonderful, wonderful job. Christian, very well done. Enjoy the break. Have a good summer break. One person I didn't ask Christian about is Checo Perez. 
Uh, he comes home in fifth place, of course, in the race, but he didn't even make it through to Q3 here. Last couple of races, I feel Checo's gone off the boil a little bit. Would you agree, Fred? I agree with you because the results uh, speak by themselves. But I think now, uh, because Max asks for a car which is uh, better for uh, his driving style, uh, Checo is suffering with this new type of uh, RB18 and he has to deal with that. And we all know that he's not uh, a maximum driver. And the RB18, just like the Ferrari, or the Mercedes are quite tough to drive and you need to be at your top. You can see that even Charles Leclerc uh, made a mistake last week because you have to drive on the edge and when you make a small mistake, you're out, easy. I will maintain that the most impressive pole position I've seen this year is Checo's from Saudi Arabia. Uh, the, the one of George yesterday came from nowhere. Absolutely brilliant. I don't, I don't really want to take anything away from what George has done here, but I remember seeing Checo's pace through that fiercely quick racetrack in Saudi Arabia and thinking, where did that come from? It sort of was quite similar. It was both of their first poles. And, but, uh, so Checo can do it, Jesus. He can win races, but yeah, it's a trend that when the car suits Max, it doesn't suit Checo that much. Yeah, I heard once here in the paddock that, that the teammate most close to Max in the telemetry way, in the understeering uh, driving, it, was, it used to be Carlos when they were at, at Toro Rosso before he left the Red Bull family. It happened a bit also in Ferrari when, when Carlos was less comfortable with the oversteering Ferrari. Charles was shining like, uh, like at his best, uh, he has that many poles this year. It's it's amazing. It's impressive how the four of them are really good drivers, but it's impossible for them to shine at the same level with the same car. Now we're sat outside the Mercedes motorhome here in the paddock. Uh, everyone is leaving, starting their summer holidays. George Russell has just walked past us. Uh, signing a few autographs as he heads to the turnstiles. A few selfies as well. Now, he was the pole man yesterday. Bit of a swagger as he's walking away. And so he should have. I think he's had a very good weekend. Not a perfect one because he's not ending uh, where he, he should have wanted. But uh, finishing third for the uh, fourth time. Uh, I think he has more podium uh, than Charles Leclerc this year. He has. This, this was his fifth, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So... Mr. Consistency. I, th I think now, uh, especially how we are going on summer break and Mercedes will work harder than ever, uh, they're going to have victory before the end of the year. Certainly. Especially if Ferrari uh, still misses the occasion of winning. Asus, I've got this feeling that Lewis Hamilton could have won that Grand Prix today had he started on the soft tyre. Or had, had he made a better Q3 with no DRS issue yeah probably yes and it would have been a great story too i mean w watching luis winning again after this eventful year for him for for mercedes it, it's a great story i think it's going to happen at some point this year i would be surprised if it doesn't happen but i think even george will have his chance it, it maybe it was today a, a really good chance for him well it's been a performance roller coaster for mercedes this weekend and i caught up with andrew shovlin their director of trackside engineering just after the race. 
Andrew, it was a late night on Friday here in Budapest for the engineers at Mercedes. It seemed to me you guys were unhappy with the car in practice. Can you tell us what you did to turn around the performance from Friday that ended up with a pole position on Saturday and a double podium on Sunday? Well, simple answer is no, I'm not going to tell you that because I think we actually learned quite a lot on Friday and it was a bit uncomfortable. The car was in a pretty bad place, but it was one of those where we went one way and realized we needed to go the other. So it, it was a useful experience. And we, we've, we're doing all these races saying we've got to make them live experiments. We've got to be learning for the future. Um, that sounds great on paper. In practice, it can be, it can be quite difficult and quite, quite uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, it was, a gr- it was a great turnaround. Uh, both drivers have done a great job. The team's done a great job. And, and what a nice way to go into the summer break. Were you surprised by George Russell's pace on Saturday to take that first pole position? Yeah, short answer is, you know, the car's not had that pace all year. We've seen little glimpses of it if you looked at maybe Austria qualifying, where we were starting to do some purple sectors. Um, But to do it when it really mattered in in Q3 uh, was really really impressive. And whether it's a, a, a case of, you know, us getting it right or perhaps Ferrari and Red Bull getting it a bit wrong on the single lap work, um, it, it was a great lap by him and it, you know, real shame as well that, that we had the DRS issue with Lewis because we, we could have potentially got the front row and if we'd had the front row then it, then it would have put us in the driving seat to win the race today. You really mean that? You think if Lewis had been up there you could have won this Grand Prix? Having two cars at the front being able to control the race in Budapest is a, you know, is a big advantage. Um, we still take the view the car's not quick enough and we're not looking at it as a race that we could have done more in. We're looking at is this journey of improvement, of learning, of understanding, and we're pretty happy with where we are on, on that journey. And you know, the, the recent progress we've made, um, there's more of that to come, uh, more from where it came from. So we're just really excited to you know, push on and try, and try and shut down that gap, because we don't think we're the best car but we don't need to find too many tents and we'll get to a point where we can be really challenging at the front. Even without Lewis up there in qualifying, is this a race that you could have won with either driver if the cards had fallen slightly differently? And by that, I mean, had you started Lewis on the soft tyre rather than the medium, for example, or is there anything you could have done with George that would have kept him in front? I think if, I mean, we'll, we'll go through that analysis as we do with every race because, you know, there aren't, there aren't any that you don't look at what you could have done better because um, you often learn from it. I think the reality is when Max got out front, he was quite comfortable, he was managing. He'll have been saving the rubber on the tyres just in case there was a bit of rain at the end. And really our focus is, is on saying we just need another two or three tenths and then we can really start to put them under pressure because it's only when you can put a team under pressure that you can really open up those opportunities. And when you analyse the last two weekends, it was a double podium in, in France with all those quick corners. You've come here to Budapest, a very different racetrack, another double podium. How much confidence does that give you going into the summer break? I, think, I mean, the real confidence is, is that we're doing the right things, the team's working well and we're going in the right direction. And at the start of the year, if we got a podium, it was because one or two other cars made a mistake or they, they had a reliability issue. Um, we know where we want to get to with the team and the car. And we, you know, we want to be the quickest car. We want to be qualifying on pole on merit. And these are all steps that we've got to go along that, along that journey. And I think the, you know, the pole position for George yesterday was really encouraging. Two double podiums on the trot is, is really encouraging. But it's just signs that 
that we are we are improving. Um, we had a very difficult start point, but the team has really really worked hard and really gelled to try and get this back on track. And it's and and it's been an interesting challenge for us. You know, not, I wouldn't say it's it's all been fun, um, but I think it's a, a challenge that the team will emerge stronger from. And have these two weekends validated the car concept that you guys came up with for these new regulations, which has been so different to everyone else? I, th- I mean, we're not really saying, right, we're, you know, this is the route that we're going to pursue forevermore. Um, we're, we're very open-minded about what, what we want the car to be. I think what it's validated is that the development route that we are currently on can deliver more, and that's a result that it, a route that it starts to look like it can can deliver us success and deliver us race wins this year. Uh, there's no doubt that sticking on our current path, by and large, will be the thing that gives us the best performance this year. If you if you make a you know if you try and make your car look like someone else's, we we will lose performance in the short term. Maybe there's a long term gain, um, but in terms of what you know what this year's car looks like i think we've got a decent idea of where we want to take it and also how much performance there is to come and we're quite excited about what we can bring in the next few races exciting times ahead have a great break thank you andrew thank you right let's move down the order a little bit now and discuss uh, this battle for p4 in the constructors championship between alpine and mclaren Uh, After these opening 13 races, there's just four points between them. Alpine have currently got the advantage, but Norris was the first car home out of those four. How do you see the battle? I I think you you came to the right guys. One French journalist, one Spanish journalist to speak about Alpine. So tell me about Alpine. Uh, I feel after speaking to Fernando a while about this, uh, I'm a bit worried that Alpine wants to go further with development this year to fight for that fourth position that may compromise the development maybe for next year because we're under a cost cap now and it's not that easy for teams to spend all the money they they have but i'm really surprised in precision testing alpine didn't look that great uh, neither mclaren but they are progressing uh, through the season and also you have to take in account that fernando missed a lot of points this year he should have i don't know how many um, somebody has been counting not me but and it will be a different season for them, at least from the outside. I thought, Fred, that the battle between Ocon and Alonso here in Hungary was a little bit too close for comfort if I was on the Alpine pit wall. Just like in Jeddah, or if you remember. And I think uh, Jesus will agree with me. I think uh, Fernando won't be happy to leave that again because it is twice in a year that two teammates battle so fiercely, let's say. I'm French, so I will defend my my driver, but it was tough. And I think both of them lost performance because of that. And then when you when you choose the wrong strategy and being on hard, which was the one uh, tire that uh, you should uh, avoid, then you finish uh, eight and nine and uh, you lose once again a lot of points. It was very cool track temperatures here today. and. Uh, the hard tyre was not on any of Pirelli's predictions for the race, so I thought it was a very brave call of Alpine to go for that. Where yeah, you, you, you can try when you are uh, just like Alpine, and then we come back to Ferrari, and you see that it's not working, and you hear the Leclerc engineer saying, it's not going to work, but you put them on, and it's... It reminds me, or it reminds us uh, Abu Dhabi 2010, when... Uh, 
everybody pitted uh, to cover Weber, which was no longer in contention for the title, and everybody forgot Vettel. And the poor Alonso lost the title that day because of the bad strategy of Ferrari. Who do you think's got the faster car at the moment, Alpine or McLaren? I think Alpine, at least on the race. I'm pretty surprised about the McLaren pace in Saturdays, uh, since Paul Ricard, since they made a big uh, upgrade thing. But I would be surprised if if McLaren keeps that pace for the, for the rest of the year, because Alpine has proved to be a pretty solid team so far. McLaren, Jesus. Lando Norris qualified fourth. It's clearly a good car over one lap. He struggled in the first stint in the race today, and that was slightly his undoing. So to come back and finish seventh uh, was a good result for him. But McLaren's Achilles heel at the minute is still Daniel Ricciardo, isn't it? Whereas Alpine have two drivers finishing in the points, Daniel isn't. There's no other way to phrase it. And, and also, you know, we journalists are always looking to the uh, driver championship, but you know the teams are always looking to the champion to the team championship, and and to get a good result there, you need two drivers, especially when Alpine is doing so. Uh, in the in the previous races, maybe only one Alpine was scoring good points, and the other one was in trouble, but since a few races ago is this is not happen anymore also i know fernando you know he's he's never been overperformed by his teammate since he started in formula one only luis equal points in 207 but no no the points truly in 204 not in the points not but, in uh, the points in one victory to uh, yeah, that's zero true. victory but i wouldn't bet against fernando this year uh, being behind esteban at the end of the year and I know that he is. I wouldn't bet either. He is into that, so I expect Alpine to score really good points. Uh, so from now on, yeah, very impressive driver lineup at Alpine. Every time they bring developments to it, it seems to improve the performance of the car. McLaren have done a fantastic job with the upgrade, the aerodynamic upgrade that they brought to France last weekend. But we just need to see Daniel Ricciardo getting in the points uh, regularly for them if they are going to come back from what is currently fifth place and beat Alpine to fourth. Now, one driver, gentlemen, that we haven't discussed yet this weekend, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, first of all, a very feisty race from Sebastian to finish 10th. Yeah, especially after the race of last week where uh, his teammate made uh, a fierce difference, even <laughs> Even fiercest than uh, than the one uh, between Ocon and uh, Alonso uh, this week. So this week is Vettel 10 and Stroll 11 because we speak about the two Aston Martin. And uh, then, if he leaves at the end of the year, he will leave, uh, I think, with a high. Well, the Aston Martin is a much better race car than it is qualifier because let's not forget that Sebastian Vettel started this Grand Prix 18th. So to come home in the points uh, was a solid day's work for him, but. That's not why people are going to remember Sebastian Vettel from Hungary 2022. It's, of course, the news that broke at 12 o'clock on Thursday. We all just turned up wondering why Sebastian Vettel had started an Instagram account when he's been fiercely anti-social media for the last 15 years. Um, as soon as you heard that there was an announcement at 12, did you know what it was about? No, not at all. So was, you were surprised yeah, by the retirement? I was, I was convinced that he will stay for one more year. 
especially because he said so one week before yeah. in France. He said that he will. That they were already speaking Aston Martin and the driver, and he would like to stand. One journalist who knows Sebastian almost better than anyone else in this paddock is Michael Schmidt from Auto Motor and Sport. Here's what he thinks. I expected it a little bit later, maybe after the summer break, because normally Sebastian does his big decisions after summer breaks. But from what I've heard is Aston Martin wanted him to do a decision because obviously in case he's retiring, they have to look after a replacement. Do you think he's sure there's going to be a U-turn after the summer break? No, I think I believe him that it was a difficult decision. But in the end, he's a, he's a guy who makes decisions. He's not somebody who carries it around too long. There's one thing uh, in him who wants to carry on because I think he is still excited to drive the ultimate driving machines in the world. But then on the other hand, he realizes, okay, he was building up or he was helping to build up that Aston Martin team, but I think he's running out of time. He's, he's aware that if in best case, it would take him another two or three years until Aston Martin would be there where he wanted it to be. I remember this time last year, there was a lot of deliberation. Will Seb do 2022? Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, a repeat of this, Aston Martin are keen for him to carry on and that we'd get another season because, of course, the driver market opens up at the end of next year much more than it does now. So do you think... There's pressure from the family, or is it purely a Sebastian Vettel decision? No, it's purely a Sebastian Vettel decision. He's, he actually said, I think, in his speech that the wife was the one who uh, encouraged him to carry on because she knows exactly what he likes and what he loves. But um, no, I think the, one of the major reasons was that last year, you mentioned it, there was already the question, is he going to carry on? And they told him, but hang on, there are completely new cars next year. The whole uh, uh, field might be shaken up. Everything will be better. Everything will be closer. And it didn't happen. And he said to me in Paul Ricard, unfortunately, we had to learn, you still have to sit in a Ferrari, a Red Bull or a Mercedes to win races. And maybe, yeah, maybe in two or three years time, all these new rules will turn Formula One into something much more competitive and, and the budget cap, obviously. But I think that was too long for him. So let's reflect on his career and his legacy. How good was Sebastian Vettel? I think he was one of the best drivers. I wouldn't say he was one of the icons. I mean, the icons for me are Fangio, Jim Clark, Senna, Prost, Michael Schumacher and, and Hamilton. These are for me the outstanding drivers. But then he's in the next league. When was he at his peak? Definitely when he was at Red Bull. He had a car, was adapted to his driving style. Uh, he felt at ease, he, he, he liked the team, he was very well in working with the engineers. I would say these, these years, obvious, these years where he um, uh, won the championships were his best and then 2013 with nine wins in a row, uh, I think that will take a long time until somebody will beat that. He kind of did his career in reverse, didn't he? It was so front-loaded, the success. Do you think he's found it very frustrating in the latter years with, with Ferrari and Aston? Yes, I think my, his big dream was obviously becoming champion with Ferrari. One championship with Ferrari would have given him more than four championships at Red Bull. It was always his dream. You know, he's a guy who loves the history. And for him, opposite to Michael Schumacher, when Michael came to Ferrari, it was just another team painted and a car painted in red. And only over the years he learned all this history and, and, and uh, tradition. For Sepp, he knew exactly where he went and he wanted to, to do the same as Michael at least one championship. And I think 
when he left Ferrari, it was not in good terms, obviously. Um, I think then he wanted to prove to himself, hang on, the last two years were not that perfect. Um, I want to show to myself that I still can do it. And maybe I can do it with a small team, helping them to build up. For me, he had the feeling it is a little bit like going to Toro Rosso, you know, a, a, a new team. And then it worked at the time, but it didn't work this time. How do you explain what happened in 2018 with Sebastian? He was leading the world championship for a while and then it all fell apart. Yeah, I think it was two championships, actually. Uh, it was 17 and 18, where he could have won the championship. And uh, then, uh, I think in the first year, there were more technical problems, uh, which then finally uh, uh, stopped Ferrari uh, fighting for the championship. In the second year, he did some mistakes, which were difficult to explain. I think, I think that Hockenheim uh, a spin, that was for him, it was like a, a how shall I say, yeah, the, the career changed afterwards. Is he an emotional man? Do you think the emotion of Ferrari and the pressure that came with it just became too much? Uh, he's an emotional man, but I, I, I think he's, the pressure is not, so, is, is not something which is affecting him too much. Uh, I wouldn't say it was pressure. I think he was disappointed with himself in a way. It was an unnecessary, an unforced error. So if we think wins, 53 wins, which is his best one? It's very clear in my mind which I think his best one was. No, uh, to be honest, I don't remember that much. <laughs> well, which one is yours? Michael, I'm going to go for the first. Mm -hmm. I think Monza, 2008, yeah. in the Toro Rosso, in the wet. He was inch perfect all weekend. Yeah, he was perfect, but also the team. I mean, the whole, uh, the whole build-up. Because the team realized it's going to rain on that Sunday, and they concentrated the whole weekend on a wet setup. All these, let's say like this, the arrogant top teams... They thought, ah, they get it right. If it rains on Sunday, we will get it right in last minute. But they didn't get it. This Toro Rosso was absolutely set up for rain from day one on. And, and they, were, they were doing the right strategy. Right. So that's my offering. Yeah. What's yours? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm really thinking. Maybe the, the win in, in Silverstone just before he made this big mistake in Hockenheim. Because he won against uh, Lewis Hamilton on his home, on Hamilton, on Lewis's home ground. And I think that was psychologically very important. And that's why I think this mistake on his home ground in Hockenheim was so devastating. Michael, thank you very much for your time. Great to chat. Just to confirm the top 10 of the Hungarian Grand Prix, it was Max Verstappen who won the race. Win number eight of the season, number 28 of his Formula One career. Gosh, those stats are building. Lewis Hamilton came second, his fifth consecutive podium. And George Russell was third again, his fifth podium of the 2022 season. Uh, the lead Ferrari, Carlos Sainz, was fourth. Sergio Perez, fifth. Charles Leclerc sixth, uh, despite putting on that soft tyre at the end. Lando Norris was the first McLaren home in seventh. Fernando Alonso eighth, Esteban Ocon ninth, and the retiring champion Sebastian Vettel tenth. So guys, it's been a phenomenal Hungarian Grand Prix. Actually, it's been a phenomenal opening 13 races of the 2022 season. I did have three questions for you as we look back on the opening half of this season. First of all, who is your driver of the season so far? It's obvious. Easy. Max, Max is making a difference. Not, not the cars, it's the driver. Max is making a difference. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you can see it from today. 
it was not a track for uh, Red Bull. It was not uh, the best car today, and they won. So Max, easy. We're all in agreement there. I, I would say Max as well. Right, car of the season so far. Ferrari. It, this is the most complete car, the most beautiful, because you have to admit when you when you see that car, it's beautiful, and she can be fast on every track of the season. And I agree, and also I think most of the teams agree because the field is looking uh, more and more like the Ferrari uh, the, when the races are going on. Now you have the, the Haas, which is a kind of a white Ferrari. So, and this is not a good thing for Ferrari having the fastest car not being the fastest team is something to think about during the summer I guess and I'm just going to agree with you guys again final one from me the surprise package of the season so far I would say Alfa Romeo because they were the only team to have the car at the weight at the beginning of the year it was a bet of Fred Vasseur and his technical team and I think for a small team uh, they are scoring points and for me, they're, they're the surprise. I, I, I had to say Red Bull. They had the, a hell of a fight for the championship last year with Mercedes. And it seems like they didn't lose, not even one, one meter to his competitors. Ferrari, they had the advantage to come back because last year they weren't fighting for, for, for anything, I guess. And Mercedes, they took a step, a step down this year and suddenly Red Bull it looks like they haven't suffered anything in the winter. I'm going to throw Haas in there, by the way, as a surprise package. I've, I've loved seeing them get their act together a little bit more this year, given where they were last year. And I'll never forget Kevin Magnussen's first race back in Bahrain. And, and they've sort of managed to maintain that level as well. There's been a few fluctuations, of course, but great to see Haas back up there. So they're my surprise. Well, lads, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your holidays, uh, Tom. Well, I'll do my best. I think we all know. South of England? I I'm staying in England. Although, do you know what? I'm actually going to Lake Garda this week. You'll have to listen to F1 Beyond the Grid to know why I'm in Lake Garda in the coming weeks. Guys, thank you so much. It's the Monday morning after the Hungarian Grand Prix and we've all been slightly caught out by the news that Fernando Alonso is going to be joining Aston Martin for 2023. And I can't believe I was speaking to the very man who would have been perfect to discuss this uh, when we were in the paddock last night. But I've grabbed him uh, this morning. Jesus, how much of a shock is this news to you? It is. It's a big shock. One of the last things I did at the paddock in Hungary was speaking to Otmar Safnauer. He was pretty sure they were setting a deal in the next days. At least he said so, and I believe him. You know, Fernando said uh, Thursday in Hungary that it would be only 10 minutes of discussions when two parties agree something. Otmar said more or less the same, and I truly believe him. So I think maybe in Alpine they are almost as shocked and as, as you and me. It's a really big thing for Formula One. We will see next year. The only thing I, I don't know is what happened before. The Seb retiring or Fernando signing with Aston Martin? I think that's a good question for the next race. Well, I think Aston Martin was certainly putting pressure on Seb to decide his future, which makes me think that they'd had preliminary uh, conversations with Fernando. Now, do you think it's going to work? Do you think Alonso to Aston Martin is going to work? I have to admit... I'm not sure. You know, we're, we're used to 
you see in Fernando uh, starting from the back with his projects, you remember McLaren Honda and it didn't work then. Then we were pretty happy with Alpine because the car was faster this year than the year before. And this is not, you, you never can take that for granted in Formula One. So Alpine was evolving properly, but but yeah, for some reason, it's not the it's not the car that Fernando wants for next year, and and I don't know Aston Martin. I'm not sure. Is it's not a, a team with that big heritage as as Renault? They used to be world champion with Fernando too. Aston Martin used to be racing point and uh, has had so many names before. But I'm not that sure. Is is a winning team in the medium term, and I don't think that Fernando's expectations will take five more years to 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 know if if it's a winning team because fernando is 41 years old right now but but who knows is it's true that they are making a really big investment in formula one so why not i guess fernando said that why not let's look at the positives for him uh 2023 is going to be the first dan fallows car at aston martin dan fallows their technical director who the team lured away from red bull you only need to look at the progress that Red Bull have made this year to think he's clearly going to have some good ideas. Uh, Fernando is going to go in as the de facto number one driver, I would assume, uh, so they can build the team around him. And of course, they've got the new factory coming on song that is going to be opened uh, midway through next year. There's a wind tunnel coming. They've announced that it's going to be a multi-year deal. And I think that was one of the snags with Alpine. I think Alpine initially wanted to give him a one-year deal. He wanted more than that. And I think Lawrence Stroll just came in and said, I'll give you what you want. So on that level, I can see it working. It is year three of the team's five-year plan to be challenging for the World Championship. So they've got to start making strides. And I think when you look at who else was available, Nico Hulkenberg is doing the Pirelli test for Aston Martin this week. Does he give the right vibe that this is a team that wants to be winning the World Championship in two years' time. Nico's had his day, in my view. And then there's the Nick de Vrieses, the Stoffel van Dorn. So I can actually see it making sense for both parties. Yeah, I mean, of course, for Aston Martin, for Lawrence de Stroll, it was the best choice on the market. When you when you see the all the drivers who were free of contract uh, yesterday, it was the best choice. He's uh, a world champion, the only one. In that sense, I can understand. Of course, it's the best. It's the best option they had. In the in, on Fernando's hand, we, we we will see. Of course, this is it's unfair for us because we will know in in two years if he was right or not. If Alpine is faster than Aston Martin or or Aston Martin is in front, we, we will see. You are right. Is they are building a really great team. No, it's not a Fernando's. Uh, team, they are uh, looking into Red Bull. They are they are bringing people from Mercedes probably too. So it's a very interesting structure. They have building that new factory that we all see from from Silverstone when we go to the British Grand Prix, and and it's a it's a medium term project. And Formula One as a medium term project, every team can win. We 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 know that. Uh, I'm I need to I need to see more. I need to speak. With the people from from Aston Martin, I, I, I'm from Alpine too because I'm I'm pretty shocked still and surprised. But of course, he will be the number number one driver, like a like a very number one because it's not the same. Ocon had a, a long contract in Alpine; they wouldn't they wouldn't do so with with Fernando. And maybe that one year was was a big thing. 
uh, maybe that was maybe the reason he, he left the team now. And it's not all bad news for Alpine because this actually frees up a seat for Oscar Piastri, who everyone rates very highly, the reigning Formula 2 champion. So it's not like they haven't got anyone to plug into Fernando's seat for next year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's Now it's so easy for them to to find a place for, for their young star. I guess it, that made things easier for Alpine too at, at the negotiations because you don't, you are not dependent on on one driver. But I have to admit, when you look not the not the standings, but every free practice, every qualifying, and, and every every race itself, and you see Fernando carrying carrying the weight and and being the fastest every free practice. Maybe at the race it, it hasn't been like that this year because of so many incidents and issues, but. I think Fernando has been very important in Alpine and I don't think they are happy right now even even though they have a free a free seat for Oscar. So what's the deal now? Does Fernando uh, do a media session with you guys with the Spanish media or has he just disappeared now for for a month the next you're going to speak to him is at Spa? Not that I know. Uh, no no this is summer you know summer in formula 1 no one speaks when you read something it's all quotes from the last race so yeah maybe Spa Thursday in Alpine hospitality is going to be interesting. Drop the bomb and run. That's kind of what they've done, isn't it? You know, funnily enough, uh, I had an inkling that something was up last night. Hindsight is, of course, twenty twenty. But as I was leaving the paddock, Fernando was leaving as well. And I said to myself, why are you still here? All the other drivers left hours ago and we saw them, didn't we? When we were chatting, Jesus, yes. we saw Leclerc leave and, and Russell leave. So I thought, A, why are you still here? And B... He was very happy. He was very chipper, sort of smiling and wishing me very happy holidays. And and I remember thinking that wasn't a great race. It wasn't a bad race for Alpine, both cars in the points, but it wasn't a great race. Why are you so happy? Maybe it was a great deal. Maybe it was a very yeah, great yes. deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he just signed the contract. Oh, dear. Well, this crazy world of Formula One, it never stops, does it? It's, it's Formula One. I mean, when you think everything is pretty much stable, uh, or even the, the Seb thing on Thursday, because you know Seb said uh, one week before that he wanted to stay, and so this is the reaction from the reaction. And yeah, I'm still shocked. I have to be. I didn't expect it to be writing that much today for my newspaper, and now I have to. But you know, Formula One now. We will see the next the next chapter, maybe Piastri in Alpine or what happens with Mick. This never ends. It never ends. Well, look, enjoy your writing and happy holidays if you get any. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Jesus. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was the Hungarian Grand Prix. Tremendous race. I hope you've enjoyed hearing our thoughts on it. We'll, of course, be back next week. But we're doing something a little bit different during the F1 summer shutdown. There are going to be two weeks of Ask Damon specials, and you've still got time to send in a question for the champ. So please do that via a voice note and send it to askdamon at f1.com. Thank you very much for listening as ever. And F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>